0: We are back today to gather more qualitative data on the opioid crisis and the need for more rehabilitation centers within the city of Baltimore. We have Pam Kerouac, LPC, who will be participating in today's interview and questions. Pam, if you could please tell our viewers a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure, thanks for having me here today, Sarah. Uh, So my background is as a clinician, I've worked in the field for 30 some odd years um, in patient settings, emergency rooms, uh, outpatient private practice. And more recently, I have focused on education. So I do webinars for uh, companies throughout the world on uh, topics like addiction, uh, mental health awareness, um, stress management, suicide prevention. And so that is uh, my focus right now is is on education. So hopefully we can make inroads not only in uh, the opioid crisis but also our mental health crisis in this country.
0: That is amazing. (laughs) That is absolutely incredible. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Um, So I guess we'll just kind of roll right into our first question then with the nine that we have. Uh Um, Our first question is, where do you see the need for more rehab centers for patients who need help with opioid misuse?
1: I think we could really attach them to medical centers, you know, uh, and and pharmacies. You know, we have like CVS now opening up Minute Clinics. Uh, I think we could attach, uh, um, you know, addiction awareness, uh, education uh, to even pharmacies so that we have... Um, consults. We have consults in doctor's offices. We have consults in pharmacy where they're picking up their drugs. I I think there's a real lack of awareness uh, about addiction and, and certainly about opioid addiction i don't think anyone really just starts out to say i'm going to be an addict right um, i think unfortunately uh lack of education lack of awareness creates and accessibility creates a perfect storm so if we could um i thought about this years ago i i I wanted to work with hospitals when any medication, uh, through their doctors were being prescribed that there would be a consult with a mental health clinician mm-hmm. to talk about past history of addictions, to talk about, um, you know, medication awareness. So I, I think, you know, I think at the point one where medications are being prescribed, um, also about how to, um, uh, to get rid of medications if someone doesn't use the the, the prescribed dosages or or amount rather. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's really important and I I really believe that people just don't understand this crisis, so.
0: I agree. Um, Question that's not actually within the participant questionnaire. About um, what year did you find that the opioid crisis had really heightened?
1: Oh gosh. You know, I, I, I have been seeing this happening for years, you know, um, when I first started out in the field, but, you know, I've been seeing this since the 80s, that people wow. were being prescribed medications without any awareness, nor um, attempts to get history. And I think that's a real crisis, right? When we don't understand, yes, when we're prescribing that- drugs to people, when we don't even know their background.
0: Absolutely, um, Yes
1: yeah so you'll you'll hear people with addictions say this. You know, no one ever asked me if I had an addiction um, before prescribing this medication. So yeah, I think it's I, I think it's been going on for years. I think it's just steadily worsened.
0: Okay. And I guess do you find that rehab programs are being personalized to meet the needs of
1: patients? <laughs> I don't want to speak to every program um and I, you know it's been a, a few years since I worked uh for other folks in um in the substance abuse field but at the time not really you know people were you would be in a program where there would be uh you know group information um hopefully be assigned a counselor that you could have some individual work with and then, you know, meet the, the personal needs. But oftentimes it's, it's pretty generic. Okay.
0: So. Okay. And what is your part, uh, per, excuse me, perspective on, or how do you feel the quality of services provided to patients who suffer from opioid misuse? I
1: okay. think, I think, you know, related to the previous question, right? Yeah. If we're not meeting individual needs mm-hmm. and we're probably not doing what we need to do, um, you know there are different. Um, I think there are different levels of addiction. I think there are different uh, pathways to addiction, and I'm not sure we're understanding nor addressing them. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think we can do better. You mm-hmm. know I think we can do better right up front, as I said earlier, with education, uh, with awareness, with making sure we're understanding um, who we're prescribing to, uh, but also you know just education about and I I don't want to harp on this, but um, once someone is, is finished with their medications, how do you dispose of them properly so they're not laying in your medicine cabinet and somebody comes and grabs them, right? That is really the very common way that addictions continue, right? That we get medications not directly through the doctor, but get it through friends, through family, through, you know, visiting someone's home and finding these um, opioids in the cabinet.
0: Yes, yeah, and I can definitely speak on my behalf that, you know, I have been given an opioid in the past due to a surgery, and I can... Definitely verify that I probably more than likely still have that container in my Big, medicine yeah. cabinet. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and then unfortunately that is part of our our challenge, right? People uh, really don't appreciate. And, and how are you going to know? Like, do, do you like do uh, you know an evaluation of every friend that comes to your house? Exactly. What's you your background? <laughs> right. So, yes. Yeah. We don't do that, and so you know, it's not like you have a. a I think people have this image of addiction as having a face to it and it it doesn't right. It's anyone, you know, so, you know, I think that taking those medicines out of the cabinets and really making people understand why uh, is a really big first step. Um, And I'm probably going off a bit, Sarah, but I I just wanted to kind of put that in there. Um, And I also want to say to you something that happened to me last year when I had a surgery, Sure, Um, I broke my wrist and went to the emergency room and I was given oxycodone um, which I was very grateful for at that time <laughs> um, and they gave me another before I went home but they gave me a prescription of 10 oxycodone so for me when I take that I, I am just sleeping I can't even function I it's just really impacts me um, you know in the way I guess it's supposed to it takes away the pain but it takes away my consciousness right yes So, I had gone to surgery um, about 10 days later, unfortunately, but I went to talk with the surgeon and rescheduled surgery. And I told him prior to going to surgery look, I still have like eight oxycodone, so I really don't need any more pain medications. You know, I have quite a bit. Okay. And I found that I really don't use them. Um, so, I, you know, I'm in surgery, I come out, I'm still under, you know, the anesthesia, I'm really not functioning properly. Uh, they actually gave my, my then husband um, two prescriptions, one, a 30 count of oxycodone, wow, and then another count of another lesser pain medication, but still 30 of them. I don't need that medication, I told them I don't need that medication. <laughs> and it's
0: nice that you can acknowledge that, but many, or most, or some rather, people can't
1: no 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 and again like like you said what if I'm somebody that doesn't really understand the opioid crisis or or really think like it's no harm to keep those medications and now they're sitting in my medicine cabinet right, right? right. so I think that education for me it's always education that's key 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 right to and having doctors really listen to what a patient is saying you know I have an addiction or I have meds I really don't need any more right listen I think that we're
0: we're lacking that. Okay. Great response. Thank you so much for that. That's, oh, you're, that's you're incredible. Um, so I guess that kind of leads us into whether or not do you feel that our healthcare system is providing the best care our, to our patients with opioid misuse? Do you feel that we are up to date?
1: Well, so you heard what I just said, right?
0: Yes. Like I,
1: <laughs> we're totally missing the point, right, of, yes. the, of the opioid crisis. And, you know, and, and I, I do want to acknowledge, like, I don't have an addiction, right? So they're like, looking at me like, oh, she doesn't have an addiction and she's probably going to need these pills because she's in pain, despite the fact that I said I really don't need them. So I think we need to listen better um, and, and really appreciate it's not just about me. It's about anyone that I'm encountering if I keep those medications. Okay. So I think we have to educate ourselves. We have to make sure that I, I, it's getting better. Yeah, Like, I think we're doing better with limiting how much uh, medications are going out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it like things like with Xanax, um, you know, there there's a lot, a big limitation on how much they're providing, thank God, because that used to be a big, big problem, and yes. people would stay on Xanax for years without awareness of how it was affecting them. Um, so I think we're doing better with certain classes, but not like, again, like oxycodone, we're still prescribing far more than we need to, I think. So I don't think we're up to date. I think we need to do better. And I think we also need to understand the face of addiction. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, somebody who is like, um, on the street, right. Not working and and seeking medications. It's, it's your neighbor. It's your friend. It's, you know, it's, there's a, it's. We have to change that face, so.
0: That's um, something that I totally agree with. We have to stop the stigma also.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, so you got it right on the head. Sarah, I'll tell you what. I have, for the last two and a half years, because, you know, as you know, we've seen a a huge rise in depression and anxiety uh, post-pandemic or with the pandemic. Um, I am educating companies, literally major, you know, Fortune 500 companies have invested a lot of time and energy into education about mental health stigma and substance abuse stigma and it's surprising some of the um you know the questions or the feedback I get from people that don't understand how stigma really um challenges people f- f- for seeking treatment I and mean, if we have shame and guilt and um you know discomfort about sharing our story we're unlikely to seek help Absolutely. so if, are we going to really say, you know, I'm addicted to opioids when we have all this weird um, stigma around addictions? Yeah. So I agree with you 100%. We absolutely have to change the conversation. Yes.
0: I am um, on a more personal story, too. Um, so I had lost my half brother due to addiction back in oh. 2020. Oh. Um
1: oh, Sarah. I'm sorry.
0: Thank you. Um, but I also just lost my stepsister in July of this year to fentanyl uh, overdose. Oh my gosh. Um, she tried, she fought, um, she tried as hard as she could, um, but it's it was unfortunately and you know, as a as a sibling to yeah. her, um, whether or not by blood or just, you know, by half or step, whatever. Um it's unfortunate because it affects the parents and the siblings in a way that people don't understand, but yet people are just so judgmental right. about it. Um, yeah. More often than not, I hear it's a choice. It's a choice. It's up to them. It's uh-huh. it's their choice to inject the needle, or snort yes. it, or smoke it. It's their choice. Yeah. Um, so, really, for me, it's 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 hard. Um, yes. Because I have, obviously, both of these stories to go off of in my own personal life. Yes. Um, so really, that stigma is something that kind of irks irks me quite a bit.
1: It's interesting what you just said. And, and again... I, that's horrifying, and I'm really sorry. And it, it, it's such a short amount of time, so you're really seeing what's going on with this opioid crisis.
0: Absolutely, and you know um, I'm I've,
1: feeling it personally. You know,
0: yeah, and I've worked in healthcare for 17 years myself. I did yeah. 10 years in my local hospital at Bacchus Hospital, uh-huh. so I've seen a lot of just drug use in general. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. you know, doing phlebotomy that I used to do and having to get blood from patients that are doing heroin and just constantly injecting. is mm-hmm. It's very hard. But this is definitely Absolutely. been a topic that I've been interested in for over well over a year now that I've really mm-hmm. wanted to hone in on and get some more research from. So mm-hmm. um, so
1: can I I want to share with you something based upon what you just said, too. It was sure. really interesting. I was doing um, a program for again a large company and uh you know I, I actually work with this company monthly doing uh, mental health education for them so I was working with this smaller group uh in the south and um one gentleman says to me um you know I'm a recovering alcoholic and he said you know I I'm pretty clear and everyone has told me that it was my choice to pick up that drink and I was like oh my gosh you know And it wasn't really the topic of discussion for this group, but I had to pause the group because it's so important to get rid of this misinformation. And so I gave him this example, which maybe this will help your audience as well. What I said was, you know, there are. let's take three different people, all right? Let's take three different people with alcohol. And that one person is going to drink alcohol and really not like it, you know, kind of feel a little off and sick maybe from drinking it so they're not going to really choose alcohol right because mm-hmm. it doesn't make them feel good yeah Then you have the second person who's going to drink alcohol I'm the second person I like wine it tastes good to me right but if I have a couple glasses I start getting really sleepy it makes me tired right and then sometimes it makes me nauseous so I'm not likely to have an addiction to alcohol right yeah Now you get another person who's drinking alcohol, and they're not getting any of that feedback. You know, they may have a genetic predisposition towards alcoholism. There's lots of um, evidence that supports that some people, um, their brain structure and their genetics just allow uh, more ingestion of substances like alcohol. And so they're not getting a feedback loop. They're not getting tired. They're not getting nauseous. They're just like having drinks, right? And they can have more and more and more drinks. They're the ones that are drinking you under the table, right? There's no feedback loop. So who do you think is more likely to become an alcoholic?
0: That third person.
1: right so i think you know when we think about this as choice yeah you're picking up the drink but you're having a very different outcome right and to me it's the same with drugs like we just talked about that right That's, yeah absolutely you know, you know i take i take oxytocin, it makes me fall asleep mm-hmm. you know i have literally heard people say to me i don't understand why people would take this because it just makes me just fall asleep right because a different feedback loop right absolutely and and so I think that's really important to understand about addictions so that we can stop the stigma that people respond differently to different things, just like allergies, right? You eat a certain food, you know, you may be able to eat it. Somebody else may not because they have an, They have a, a response to that that's negative. So they're not going to eat that food.
0: What a great right? analogy.
1: Does that make sense? Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. It all ties in. It all comes together. <laughs>
1: Yes, I hope so. So I and I just so that's why when you said that about choice and when people stigmatize people, I think it's a lack of awareness and education around what addiction really is. And okay. so, you know, I I always have to pause when people say it's a choice and just say, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. So
0: yes, um, so we kind of already a- answered the. Do you believe that opioids are better regulated exactly. through healthcare systems with the use of electronic prescriptions? You did yes. you did kind of sum that up a little bit. Um, so yes. it's it's up to you if you'd like to elaborate more. You don't have to. No, oh, I'm good.
1: I'm good to go.
0: Okay. <laughs> um. Let's see. So we'll go into the citizens within the city of Baltimore need rehab centers to help overcome the opioid misuse mortality rate what do you suppose we can do as citizens to help with this issue?
1: I I really think any change comes with awareness, right? You know, if you think about, uh, I I love the Clemente and Pachorska model of change that, you know, we have pre-contemplation and we're not aware that change needs to happen, right? Yes. And then we have contemplation where we're like, oh, you know, I really do see the need for change. And I think, that's where we are like we're not even with action yet i think we need to establish that there is a need for change so awareness education um putting those numbers out there right yes and and putting the face out there like what you just said sarah this was my half brother my half stepsister these are people that i loved and they were part of my family that's the face of addiction right yes Uh, so when we start changing the face of addiction, I think it becomes more real to more people. And that's the contemplation stage. And then when we when we start having awareness, people will automatically take action because they're going to realize it's a crisis. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yes. I think so, I, I think, too, a lot of people have if it does, it's not happening to me, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yes. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, And I
1: think. When you just said that, right, that's also about education. How is this impacting you? Yes. Even if it's not your family, how is this impacting you? Yes. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes.
1: <laughs> so I so I think we have to start with, and I'm seeing it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know about Baltimore because I'm in Connecticut, but I'm seeing it on, you know, on, on ads, on television, that they're really starting to open up the conversation about addiction and trying to make it more uh, personal and real yes so that you know once we get there then we you know we don't have to wait I don't, I don't mean to say that we have to wait until everyone is like on board um but we do have to build that awareness so that we can take action steps and i think an action step is education um and then i think an action step is you know how do we um Uh, you know on a a full like 180 for everyone how do we get everyone on board to helping one another out and something as simple as you and I just talked about let's get our meds out of our medicine cabinet if we're not using them yes I mean that's a simple step everyone could take it doesn't require a lot right no no you know super simple step so let's start doing that right and then you know it, then we we build and build and build until we really address this and we you know have our doctors really asking the right questions and we have our citizens really taking ownership of um you know of again availability and all of a sudden everything starts changing so that's my thoughts
0: so i guess that kind of t- uh closes in on your recommendations for yes. improving the services for the opioid yes. misuse <laughs> great great well, that is it for today, then. Um, okay. I appreciate your time so much. You have been very informative, very educational. Um, I thank really you. hope our viewers can learn a lot from what you've mentioned and what you've discussed with us. I, again, appreciate your time, and thank you for being here today with me.
1: It was my pleasure, Sarah. And really, you know, uh, best of luck with all of this and making and creating, you know, change, like being being the voice of change. That's uh just so worthy of a cause. So thank you. Thank you. All right.